of brand new podcast. I'm Mike Allers. I am here with conservative rock star, star, former congressional candidate, and the anti-AOC herself, Catalina Lauf. Thanks so much for having me today. Thank you. Um, thank you for coming on. Shout out to Bethany Torgson for making this happen. Um, she's you. awesome. She said you guys are besties, so I was like, okay, <laughs> it has to happen. <laughs> um, what I want to talk about you know, since we're a Virginia-based podcast, you yeah. ran uh, for Congress in Illinois. Before that, you worked in the Trump administration, right? Yeah. Did I have that correct? Tell us a little bit about your life story. It's a pretty unique one from what I've read. Yeah. So where do you want me to start? Um, you know, I was, I was born and raised in a really small town outside of Chicago. Uh, we're right here in the border of Wisconsin, uh, where Wisconsin meets Illinois. So a very unique district. I ran in Illinois 14, uh, which is my home district. It's, like I said, a very unique spot uh, because it's, it's really what decides the elections. It flip-flops back and forth um, from a presidential perspective, but it really is kind of where rural meets the suburbs, and then we have the city right there. So it, it's a I always say it's such a unique um, perspective from the people out here. They really have a pulse on what's going on and it's truly the American heartland. It's flyover country. And, and so I was very passionate. I, I grew up here, like I mentioned before, I went to school in Ohio another Midwestern state, worked in, uh, you know, all across the political, uh, you know, worked on small races, larger races, and, uh, you know, never really thought, though, that it was going to be a career for me. Uh, I've always loved working in business. My father's a, a small business owner. I come from a, an entrepreneur uh, background, um, and my mom actually came here from Guatemala. So, um, you know, we have such a, a I've had such a unique upbringing, but I never thought that I wanted to be in politics um, from a, an actually running perspective. And until the rise of AOC and the squad and all these women, particularly these minority women that are not representing uh, the, I think, you know, not only the generation, but anybody, you know, their values are incredibly damaging to, to our country. And so, um, I just thought, you know, I had to kind of step up. And uh, the woman who I ran, I was going to run against, I unfortunately lost my primary by um, a couple thousand votes. We had a pretty good turnout, which was great. But um, Lauren Underwood is the incumbent here and she's a pretty far left Democrat. I mean, votes further yeah. left than AOC and the squad. And, um, you know, it's just not representing the district well. And so, you know, I, I urge anybody listening to this to get involved in politics, especially, you know, wherever you're from. There's a lot of pride. You know your area, you know your districts the most, especially if you've been born and raised there. And, you know, we really need people to step up now. I think, it, you know, what, and I'm glad you were inspired, because here's the thing. AOC, they're far left, uh, you know, yeah. Ayanna Presley, but game has to respect game. She was a 28-year-old bartender who said, you know what? Why not? No matter who she was funded by, she took out, I mean, I'm originally from New York. That was the most powerful man in New York politics. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, I wrote a piece actually because this podcast is uh, produced by BearingDrift.com. And I remember when you ran, I'm just like, we, it's time we have our own squad, yeah. right? You know, I, I mean, if uh, the um, 
I'm getting nerdy here, but if the League of Doom's in town, the Justice League needs to step up, right? Like, we need our own version. And I'm sure, and I'm, I want um, you to talk about your experience, especially because as a young person in politics, it's very, and a Republican, it's very frustrating that, unfortunately, our Democratic counterparts say, come on, step up. If you're 16 years old, let's go. We'll get you in front of a camera. Um, and for us, it's like, nope, wait your turn pay your dues. I'm sure you yeah. were told run for school board first or something like that, right? I remember being told, you know, because right in the beginning, you know, I had no idea of the process. I knew how to campaign and, and all that, but I just, you know, there is a process, especially in a state, I'm sure similar to New York. Illinois here has not only the old guard, uh, it's obviously very corrupt from a Democrat perspective, but there is a lot of entrenchment when it comes to the Republican side. I mean, here, if you're from Illinois, you're skeptical of both sides. I mean, I, that's how I was brought up uh, because sometimes the Republicans here can be just as bad. So, um, you know, I wanted like to get- every governor's been to jail, even Republicans. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I wanted to get a feel of what the landscape was from a local perspective, especially. And I remember uh, people were like, well, why don't you try, you know, county board or in and I remember saying, you know, why don't you run for county board? Like, mm -hmm. you're not going to. Yeah there's no line here. Um, you, if you have passion for it and you, you know, you're more than qualified as long as you meet the constitutional requirement. I felt, especially even now, um, my, you know, background experience in the private sector uh, was is definitely something that we need more of in Congress. We need more business-minded people. Uh, you know, there really isn't this waiting in line. And um, And I also just remember saying, you know, I'm not asking anybody for permission. This is something that uh, again, if you have the will to do it and you create a good infrastructure and you have the fundraising, you know, anybody can really do it. And luckily, uh, I think we proved a lot of people wrong. So at the end of the day, it was a loss, but uh, a huge accomplishment in terms of what we were able to accomplish with, uh, you know, a quarter of the funding. And, uh, you know, I ran up against a lot of these kind of old guard politicians that were in line. And yeah. Um, you know, one in particular who had run about eight times already and kept, you know, running over and over again, who ultimately run, won the primary. Uh, that eight times a charm, I guess. Exactly. So <laughs> um, that's just how it is. But especially for young, I mean, I do applaud AOC in terms of uh, having the, uh, you know, the, the gut to, to do it. It's not an easy fight, especially up against an incumbent. But um, that doesn't mean that you know, I think both sides need to be sure. revamped. We shouldn't have people who are in there for 30, 40 years, you know, on, on either side. But uh, it does take a lot, especially for young people. But I think the tides are turning. We're, we're seeing more young people now involved in politics. And it really is our generation's turn to step forward. Well, you know, and, and you kicked off, I would say, it, at the same time, you and Alicia Andrews yes. kicked off, right? Who's, who's running in Virginia. Uh, she's running in the 10th. And she told me. She was told to wait in line. She was told, yeah. why don't you try a House of Delegates? Why don't you try a city council? You yeah. Know, what uh, drew you to Alicia? And how did you guys, because it was like you, Alicia, uh, Sherry, I forget her name, who ran in New York. Sure. Kim Klasik, I guess, is a part of your, your group, right? Um, a little bit. You know, a little so, bit later. You know, we've kind of all found each other organically, right? Because, you know, especially in Republican politics, 
uh, women running and especially, you know, younger women with different backgrounds, it's very rare. You know, somebody like Alicia, who's a Marine Corps veteran and, you know, mom and, and just, just so young and, and beautiful, you know, it's just, it's so rare to see that in Republican politics. Unfortunately, you have a few here and there, but uh, this really kind of was that year of the, the I always call it like the Patriot Revolution, where you have just everyday people stepping forward. And uh, Shree Murray was, you know, in that group as well. And so we all kind of found each other uh, because, you know, we were all grateful to have gotten so much media attention. Uh, Shuri was able to be on Fox, Alicia, myself, and that was all really organic. So we found each other because of the national attention. Uh, but then once we kind of made that national attention, we found out that there were so many other women and so many incredible patriots from different backgrounds also running. And so it's been, I've created so many amazing friendships of people who are now running, a lot of them who have made made it past their primaries and are up in November. And it really is such a just real group. And I love that. And I love that, especially about Alicia, you know, these, we have given up a lot, you know, it's not, this isn't an easy uh, time to be in politics. It's no. certainly not when you don't fit the mold. You know, I hear the things that Alicia or Sheree or myself, you know, have been called or, you know, whatever the, the game is for the, the Democrats, you know, they don't want women like us who have conservative values. No. And, you know, we're that kind of like biggest threat to them. And so uh, I think the, the better, the more we are, the stronger we are. And so I'm still looking forward to so many other people stepping forward to uh, past this cycle and beyond. Well, especially, I mean, it's not just you, uh, you know, um, brave uh, young women stepping up. It's also uh, young kid, Madison Cawthorn, right? Yep. I think you're, you're friends with him. He's yep. stepping up. They're afraid of him too. Yep. You know, uh, him, Daniel Cameron in Kentucky now, like it's, this is a new wave. I, I do think this is a new Republican party, especially, you know, and it's unfortunate. It, it's been stereotyped as the party of old white men, yeah. not even young white men. So it's just old white men. And we are definitely changing that because conservative, conservative ideology doesn't belong to, you know, it, should, it shouldn't matter who you look like at no, all. Not at all. And I think that was the biggest drive too, is that, you know, we need to expand our party. Um, when you have this, this idea that, you know, the Republican Party is an all white old man type of party, well, like you said, it's not true at all. Um, it's just, it helps when you have peer-to-peer -peer messaging, you know, not only do our districts change, right? So like where I'm from in particular, uh, we have a growing Hispanic population. So obviously our districts change and sometimes people just maybe resonate if you have a particular background experience, uh, that peer-to-peer -peer messaging is very important and we need to bring in new people into our party. And if somebody like myself or Alicia or Sheree and all these other people running can expand the base. And we know that we've done our job while also being able to uh, capture the, the original electorate, right? And, yeah. um, and what I mean by original electorate, it's, you know, we just have a base and, um, but we do need to expand. So it, it's super important. And we need to get millennials involved now more than ever because uh, the progressives are winning on that. I mean, they know how to recruit, recruit they know how to organize and, you know, 
I don't want to get into the mechanics, yeah. but if it's a little bit, it's more fabricated. Whereas with us, like we're just real people. We weren't cooked in a lab. We didn't audition. Yeah. Uh, this was all just kind of on the We don't put everybody in a perfect, like, okay, yeah. she's 26. She's Hispanic. She's this, she's that. And boil you down essentially to just identity politics, you know, checklist. Exactly. You, you know, um, it, cause it's, it's really frustrating for me, but also especially, uh, 2020, huge election <laughs> is an understatement, right? How important is it for getting millennials involved, especially in this volatile, you know, year? It's very important. And I'll say it's not only for our generation, obviously we're growing and, you know, I just think of it, it's more of an example for younger generations. And you have the new kids now that are turning 18 that are seeing, I mean, they're growing up in this time where, uh, you know, I don't remember being, a middle schooler and, you know, A, not being able to go to school, but that's a completely different topic on COVID. Yeah. But, like politics is enroach, encroaching on everybody's everyday life. Like it is a topic of- When it wasn't life. meant to, you know? No, not at all. Like I have a little eight-year-old niece and it's like, she knows more about politics than I ever would have at middle school. You know, at that time, yeah. you're supposed to be playing your sports and, and being, you know, uh, kind of this innocence, right? But now yeah. it's infiltrating so many generations and my, you know, real, the fight that I believe is going to be the harder one is all these progressives, what they're, what the example that they're bringing on to the future generations, right? Like we're gonna have the, the boomers and the, the Gen Ys for a while. Those people are pretty much, um, stuck in, in their politics and their reliable reliable voting base for either. But what about these younger minds that are being um, very much uh, just manipulated from, yeah. from left perspective? Millennials, I think, I hope will have that breaking point of, okay, this all sounded good, but now that I'm growing older and I need to buy a house and I have a family and I realize that we're overtaxed and I yeah. recognize history and I read a book where communism doesn't work, like hopefully we'll get that. But what about these younger minds that are being infiltrated? Well, my dad always told me, my dad's like the second, you know, especially because I, I grew up in, you know, such a conservative household where it was like yeah. Ronald Reagan, John Wayne, and then Jesus maybe at number three. Coming in, right? <laughs> um, but I was also, I was fortunate enough to, to have that. But, you know, my dad was like, uh, read everything, whether it's yeah. le left, whether it's right, read everything. But he said, mind you, he goes, it's natural to be maybe a little liberal inclined when you're younger, but he goes, the second you're working and paying taxes, yeah. it's a different story. And unfortunately, and now COVID has made it harder for people to go out to get jobs, Obamacare keeping people on until they're 26. The line for adulthood is blurred. And I think that adds to this challenge that we have. Absolutely. And that's a really good point. And when you look at the culture wars and what's going on, you know, you can't even watch sports now without some sort of, you know, political whatever. You can't even watch, you know, Netflix. Everything is so politicized that... Yeah. You know, our generations didn't have that. We didn't have yeah. to worry about watching a movie and it being, you know, some sort of 
it's all subliminal messaging. Exactly. Right? exactly. And maybe <laughs> there was, but it was just not, I don't think to this extent. No. And so that line is being crossed significantly in these culture wars as well. And, you know, those are the culture wars were, weren't something that we were particularly fighting on in such an uh, apparent way. Mm -hmm. that that's my fear for the future is you know we always had hollywood liberals and you already knew that but like i didn't when you're watching a movie you're not you don't care who what yeah are. And, and, and now you have to look at like i remember it was it was very interesting i was watching like star wars rogue one okay yeah. and then i don't know if you saw it but interestingly enough in this particular rendition darth vader has his own tower Oh. And his own stormtroopers, and it's in a city, and, and he has his tower, and it's very shady. And I'm like, I wonder who they're trying to hint at, because the stormtroopers were kind of like the the troops, and I can definitely see it as a okay, clearly Trump equals Darth Vader. Like I I saw what they were trying to do, yeah. right? Um, and it's and it's frustrating because look, whether you agree with those politics or not, it. People should go to the movies to escape. People should go to anything to just, there needs to be an outlet away from the craziness. And now I'm actually reading a book uh, divided by David French. He wrote for the National Review. And in it, he talks about their scenarios where we start ripping apart as a nation. And he's like, we've never been this divided. We don't shop. I'm sure in your home district, we don't shop at the same places. We don't wear the same clothes. We don't, you know, I mean, you know, me and you, we may enjoy these things, but stereotypical, like blue America, red America, one's going to Walmart, one's going to Wegmans. Yeah. And that's sad. That shouldn't be the case. It really is. And especially, you know, like with commerce and why I absolutely, the cancel culture, like what we saw mm -hmm. with Goya over the last couple months, and then also, you know, other brands in the past you know, commerce is supposed to unite us. Like you don't mm -hmm. ask somebody, if you're at a farmer's market or whatever, this is the bad yeah. example. But if you're at a farmer's market, you're not asking somebody what their political leaning is. If you happen to like their product yeah. and they, you want it, supply and demand, they provide it. It's like that transaction, it's supposed to be uniting. And yeah. it's getting involved in every sort of life. And then I also wanted to make a point of, you know, it's like how many parents, how many families had to explain to their small kids like, oh, uncle so-and-so isn't coming over because we voted for Trump and he didn't. It's like, this is destroying families. We're getting divorced. Yes. <laughs> you know, why were you with them in the first place? But, you know, it's yeah. just it's very sad. And it's like, at what point? And it doesn't have to do, I mean, this blame on the president is so, um, it's ridiculous because it's not that way. At some point, you know, you have to all get along. And in, in politics, I, mean, I hope to see that there's a, a uh, bridge in the near future. Well, I always felt that way, even with, when Obama was in office, right? Like, you shouldn't hate the man. He's still the president. Right. You know, it, it's it's still it's still the office. There needs to be some sort of line. What you know, you can rail against them all you want, but don't take it out on your husband or your wife or your uncle right. or someone's kid or just because that's not that's how that's how things break down. Absolutely. And you worked. I mean, you worked at the Department of Commerce, right? Did I get yep. that correct yep. in my research? Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, and it's so important because look, I don't know about you. I love the hell out of Starbucks. They're yeah. so liberal. I love the hell out of them. I, I, I can't help it. 
you know, but I'm not going to boycott them because they support this and that and this, you know, like, I mean, if you like with Goya, right. I mean, instead of doing this cancel Goya, if you have that big of a personal problem, the great thing about a free market, just don't buy it. Right. If you're going to be like that, but don't put someone's livelihood at risk because of, you know, a political plot when there's so many companies that have sold out to China already and they're not canceling them over the concentration camps. No, they're not. And a lot of, at the end of the day, when I do feel like it is a lot of the liberals who cancel more so than conservatives, I would say that's probably a fact. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you don't even understand why, like what it was, it's all because of just a person or because they just disagree. And here you actually have a real life issue where people are, you know, in concentration camps and, you know, there are still people that are buying, you know, from those different, I don't know if it's manufacturing or whatever it might be, you know, those are clear issues. And, and you're right. It's like, what is the principle behind boycotting somebody like Goya or, yeah. All because he went to the, the CEO went to the, the Rose Garden for a ceremony on Hispanic initiatives, right? It's like, this doesn't, doesn't make sense. Plus how many, how many, I mean, Goya is such a staple. And from what I've read, it's fed, I mean, throughout the, the whole Latin American world, it's such a, it keeps people, you know, it, it's an easy meal. And then they're like, boycott it. And then right. what happens to those people that depend on that product? It's, yeah. I thought it was incredibly stupid. Um. This has, been a, this has been a great wide-ranging conversation. I, I do want to say, would you, as a young person with all these things on the line, uh, 2020, where are countries headed? I hope, is this the, are you going to give another shot for political office? You know, I, I don't know. It's, um, I, I'm still in, involved a lot with the, the Trump campaign and really helping out all these other candidates. Um, I'd like to see kind of those people get in first and just really um, fight as much as I can with still being in the game and helping them. Uh, so that's really my focus right now. I think things will might maybe look a lot different in uh, 2022, but we'll see. So yeah. We will see. I mean, yeah, we, we have no idea. I mean, um, I mean, especially now Trump just announced his pick uh, for the Supreme Court. Um, and I, it's Amy Comey, but any Amy Coney Barrett. Um, are you are you excited about that pick? Yeah, I absolutely. I really am. Um, you know, it, it's not even about the whole identity politics. Obviously, mm -hmm. she's a woman and all that. I am very curious to see what's going to happen. How the the con how Senate will um, kind of deal with all this, how the media will deal with all this. Uh, we saw what happened with Brett Kavanaugh. That was a tragedy that happened to, to his family. Just the amount of just horrific uh, yeah, it's, backlash that he received. Yeah. They go back so far. And I will say, are you Catholic? I'm not. No. Okay. I'm Catholic. Okay. They're already attacking. I mean, they attacked Kavanaugh's faith, which you can attack his personal life, whatever. Don't attack the man's faith. They're now going after Amy's faith already. It's always a problem. For some reason, there's a weird double standard in Catholicism with the left. I do not know why. Yeah, that's unbelievable, which is funny. It wasn't JFK, the first Catholic president, or, you know, it wasn't he? I mean, we, we know JFK is yeah. not a Democrat today. Yeah, he were to come back. He definitely wouldn't be. No, it'll be very interesting to see what happens with her, and I, and I hope that um, she is 
got put through a fair process, but yeah. that's just not the where we're headed to. Because it's gonna be it's gonna be closed. Um, I we've we've tackled so many a wide range of all the topics. Uh, I love this. Um, let's talk about as we kind of wind down here. Um, what are you reading and what are you watching? Since everything's politicized, are you able to find, you know, something to tune you out of some of the crazy world? That's an amazing question. Um, I actually, I haven't been watching a lot of TV. It's really, I just, I cannot, I, I try not, I, I watch the news for the purpose of uh, my job and in my career, but not yeah. for uh, entertainment by any means. It's very tough. Um, I read it a whole lot. Um, right now, I think I'm, I'm reading like five books at a time. So I'm all over the place. I just read a book on James Madison. Okay. Um, read an amazing book by Max Eastman, who used to be a socialist, actually, until he went to uh, Russia in the early 1900s. And uh, it's about socialism. It's just in, in his wow. manifesto against what he saw uh, during the, the Russian Revolution in, in 1917. So that was a really good, it's a really small pamphlet too. It's, it's amazing. Um, but God, I'm all over the place. I'm trying to look. No, you're fine. Okay. Keep it I have, um, so I had, I, I used to do Audible, Kindle, and I love just like regular books too. And I'm trying oh, yeah. to see what else is in there. Cause I mean, I, I literally, what are you reading? Do you have any suggestions? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, so if you have not, um, if you have not read this, Let Me Finish by Chris Christie is, I think, my all-time favorite okay. book. Oh, good. Okay. I was a huge Chris Christie guy. Um, I really thought, it, you know, without Bridgegate, I think that would have been our president. Yeah. Um, you know, when the hell they put him through. Um, I was a huge fan, but it's such an interesting path he took. And he's a regular guy. I'm Italian and Irish, so is he. So I connected a lot, uh, you know, and I lived in Jersey briefly. Um, another book, uh, I mean, Divided We Fall is, is great so far, and Larry Hogan's book, Still Standing. Okay. If you have not read that on Audible, uh, he's such an amazing guy. Is he, I love Larry Hogan a lot. Um, Grover Norquist had an amazing book called, I think it's Leave Us, Leave Us Alone. Okay. Um, That's a good title. <laughs> yeah, it's, I think it's leave us alone. I'm, I feel like, so I literally read so much that like these titles, I think it, it, like, yeah. I'm reading five of them at a time. Oh, unknown valor by Martha McCallum was when I was um, trying okay. to, I love military history. So I haven't, I've honestly have not read a lot of the political books lately. Um, and then Iliad and Odyssey, I'm trying to reread again too. So okay. yeah. Have you, did you get to read Nikki Haley's book as well? Which one? I read with all due respect. All due respect, okay. yes. I started that one. Um, I really liked her first one, which was great, especially as somebody kind of running. Uh, she had a, t a whole lot of advice in in the first book that she did, uh, talking about her first run for state uh, house and, and things like that. So I, I really I like yeah. that. Yeah, um, that's that's great because I mean. I don't know about you, but if I get a notification at like four in the morning on Politico, I'm like, I have to look at it. And I'm reading all these things and it's, it all blends together. And I mean, I'm a teacher too, in addition to this. So I'm looking at a screen now all the time. Oh my gosh. How's it been? You're e-learning? Yeah. I mean, we're doing distance learning. I'm in Northern Virginia. So right outside DC, not too far. Um, so there's more COVID cases up here. Here's the thing, though. It, 
we could have gone back to school safely, I believe. Originally, we proposed a hybrid proposal, which I thought was fair. Two mm -hmm. days distant, three days in debt. Like, I'm fine with that. I think that makes sense during this time. But we have a governor, Ralph Northam. I'm sure you've heard of him. Uh, you know, not in a good way. And he, I feel, he has not led at all. Larry Hogan's led. He's taken steps. All the states around us have led and done their thing. Yeah. Except Virginia is dragging its feet. And I don't understand. I, I, I really don't get it. We could have, I think, if Maryland found a way. And Maryland, even though it's a smaller state, it's a bigger population than Virginia. They figured it out. I feel the same way out here. I mean, Illinois is just run by a terribly incompetent leadership. Not only You got from Pritzker, right? You got Madigan. Madigan and my friend Tom Bunting, he worked in Illinois. So he worked oh, okay. in Illinois State House. Uh, He's a yeah. Democrat, but he told me all the Madigan stories. I'm like, oh, God, how can he? He's out now. He moved to Indiana. Oh, good. Well, you know what's so funny is that out here we always say, like, the one thing that unites Republicans, Illinois Republicans and Democrats is, like, this mutual, uh, I don't want to say hate for Madigan, but this just kind of mutual disappointment and, like, disgust with the Illinois uh, yeah. legislature. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's awful. You know, you have these in this district in particularly here in Illinois 14, you know, I spoke with a ton of parents and the parents are, you know, 5% of the teachers wanting to go back to school and, and all of that. But then a huge amount of parents are going bankrupt. Their kids are not able to focus. Like there's a lot of negativity that comes from not being able to open up the school. And I wish that these, the leadership would actually look at it from also the parents' perspective. I don't understand, you know, no offense. I know you're a teacher, but no. it should be a, a collective decision, not just from. Oh yeah. And well, and I would say the younger teachers were all about going back. The older teachers understandably were a little, but here's my yeah. thing. If you're an older uh, person with pre-existing conditions, it should have been up to the governor or whoever to be like, okay, if you have this, you're the ones that do, that teach online. Sure. The ones in person, you're in person. Like it's right. that cut and dry. Make it a, jo a choice. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you're 60 years old, I understand why you might be a little more scared than someone like us. You Absolutely. know? Um, so it's been frustrating because I feel like the kids that suffer the most are, you know, um, our EL, we have a huge EL population. Okay. Um, many of which they just came to the country, you know, in the past year, they're trying to figure out English. They don't have the hands-on learning and yeah. they're trying to figure out a new software. And it's, it's, it's cruel, you know, that we can't find a path forward for a lot of these kids. Oh, I can imagine. And I mean, I also feel for, like I said, the parents and it's just so, it's a really tough time. And even our businesses, I mean, Illinois has just been so far behind in opening things up. Uh, you know, safely and, and all that, yeah. but it's, it's really hurting the economy out here, you know, in, in a place, and I'm not sure what Virginia is looking like, but we have so many people moving out of the state. I mean, I, I think you guys at least have a little bit better weather than we do, but you <laughs> well, know, yeah, you guys good. are definitely colder, yeah. but, but your state Democrat run, my state Democrat run, and yeah. Virginia for years was number one for business. I, you know, I mean, You've heard of Virginia was a leader in several things, but now ever since the Democrats took over, um, you know, the, the wealth gap that they claim to care about sure. is growing. It's getting bigger, yeah. It's getting bigger. There's Arlington and all these super rich areas. Um, it, you know, I'm a little further out from Arlington, but it ain't cheap out here. 
Yeah. Um, the rest of the state, it, you know, we're like 35th in like job growth or something by some poll. Um, some uh, websites have us now eighth most expensive because of the ballooning um, housing uh, that's going on with all the corporations in Northern Virginia and the government and yes. in Richmond, that's not cheap either. So it's pulling the state apart and it's a shame. Unbelievable. And then you kind of really factor in, um, you know, Chicago or a little outside of Chicago, but some So are you in Chicago land or yeah. not? Yeah. That, okay. Chicago like, land. Yeah. Uh, the county that I'm in is the furthest suburb from the city, but okay. uh, we saw some of the riots and, and all that, and that really affected, I mean, we had a couple million dollars worth of destruction in one of our suburbs here in the 14th district. And uh, because it does, it, it almost hits Cook County. Uh, yeah. The district is not in Cook County and in Chicago, but it's, it's awful. When you have that, you have high crime rates in the city and, you know, some being pushed out here and, uh, the neighborhoods getting more unsafe and, and all this. I mean, it, it has a huge impact from an economic perspective. So it's not just the COVID. It's, it's all the other issues that stem from just- it, It's not a coincidence that Chicago, Baltimore, I mean, and now look, my home state, New York City under Giuliani, and you have to give him credit under Bloomberg, yeah. was fine. De Blasio has now taken New York back to the 1970s. And it's- it's a shame. Yeah. This shouldn't be happening. But, you know, I mean... We exist, <laughs> so we can make a change in our state. Right? So, I mean, that's why... Look, you have to get back in the game. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> 2022, we need you. Um, You know, whether that is State House, Congress, whatever, we need your voice. Madison, we need his voice. You know, Kim, you know, Alicia... You know, our, our homegirl right here in Virginia, um, we need we need you guys. Yeah, I appreciate that. You we know, so you guys I, <laughs> Yeah, right. So let's let's unite. Um, but thank you for thank you so much for joining me. Um where can as we close this out, um, where can our listeners find you on social media? Uh Catalina Lauf on all platforms. So okay. Catalina Lauf. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Thank, thank you so you. much.